0: This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright.
1: Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith Weekly Devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link in this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode description. Bishop, you wrote a devotion this week. uh, You named it Recount. And it was based off of Psalm 78, verse 4. Basically, your whole premise is like, gosh, we do so much talking about us. We preach about us. we uh, we, We talk about us in the church. And oftentimes, I guess what I take from your message is that we don't put God at the center. Like God is just kind of put out to pasture that God's there living into what many people will call that moralistic therapeutic deism. Like God's just there when we think about God, but that we're not making God-centered enough. So I'm going to ask you a question. It's just kind of random just to get us started. I'm curious what you've read in the Bible or elsewhere that has surprised you most about God.
0: Oh my goodness! Um, well, I mean, any number of things. I think it. I think that I I continue to be surprised. Uh, let's take let's just take the Psalms for a minute, right? This meditation is from the Psalms. Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are 150, as I like to say, the first ever sort of recorded rap music, uh, you know. Uh, and 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 what's interesting about the Psalms is though they. They acknowledge our legitimate pain and feelings of lostness and, uh, and our hungers and our, our fallen downness. I mean, they acknowledge that they're emotionally honest. Still, they manage to talk about God and God's agency. God is still at the center. God's listening. God's inclining God's heart. God's action. God's inaction. Um, uh, and so I, I think that I, I continually get surprised by the way in which the ancient psalmist uh, talked about God, believed that God was involved in history, understood that God had agency, um, and uh, uh, and and had a, a real sense of God's majesty and beauty and uh, and adoration, and and were humbled by it. So it, it seems like if you just read through the Psalms, uh, you know, based on your question, you you know, the character sketch you get uh, about who God is is round and robust. And interesting and involved in the messiness of human life, uh, rather than being, you know, sort of a very detailed sketch of human life with a little God sprinkled on it.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I, you know, you picked so, uh, Psalm 78. I'm assuming that's part of the lectionary and it's upcoming. Right. I read a lot of Psalms. I read morning prayer. I pray morning prayer almost daily. And gosh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I was reading one of the Psalms and forgive me for not knowing the exact one, because there are many, yet I was struck by how self-centered the Psalmist was that, you know, we are your chosen people and we thank you God for making us your favorite and that everybody else kind of be damned
0: (laughs) put aside.
1: And I thought, gosh, that's so, so selfish and conceited. Yet I've noticed that we tend to do this as a Christian society or as an American Christian society as well. Like we are the blessed people. We are the chosen, the adopted. And I'm wondering what your thoughts might be about the way we tend to center ourselves in the center of all stories.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, you know, many of the psalmists wrote from what we might call a, a Jewish exceptionalism, right? A Hebrew exceptionalism. We are God's. Um, uh, cherished child, um, and so th- this notion of chosenness, which Jesus really, though a Jew, sort of obliterates by by who he includes in the conversation. So even he stretches that notion. So yeah, you know, the people who write the book, um, you know, tell it from their vantage point, and certainly we know something about that here in America. I think this is what we do; it's human nature is to put ourselves in the center of narratives. And I think of course, down that very same road is uh, are the worst sins and evils we've ever committed to put ourselves in the center of various narratives to the exclusion of other people, women, people of color, um, indigenous people, the poor, uh those who are uh, differently abled, uh you know uh, those of uh, other sexual orientations. I mean, I think this is the real danger of uh, of putting yourself in the center and I think this is why Jesus really has to be. Uh, taken seriously and and um, visit, we have to visit Jesus again, visit his narratives, and see what he does. He actually understands as chosenness is is something to be shared and to be poured out. And so, if we are chosen, then we're always about the business of including other parts of God's family uh, until until God is at the center. When I was ordained bishop, we we talked about. You know, one of the, the themes for, our, uh, for my consecration and for the beginning of my time as bishop was uh, a song which was this sort of goes, draw the circle wide, draw it wider still. No one stands alone, standing side by side, draw the circle wide. And so, and so that, is, that is the migration that has to happen, which is an indicator that we've actually uh, even ever met God. Right is is that if we stay small, if we stay narcissistic, if we stay self-centered to the exclusion of of other parts of God's family, then we have that's an indication, Exhibit A, that perhaps we haven't met God at all. Uh, the, the the contrary is actually evidence, Exhibit A, that we've actually ever met God. That we start to see the sameness, we start to see one another as sibling. We start to decenter ourselves and recenter God and put God where God is. Uh, appropriately, uh, and best placed. I mean, this is why, you know, one of the, um, one of the commandments is I shall have no other God, uh, you know, other than, other than Yahweh, right? Uh, it, it is that, you know, it's written into the 10 commandments because, uh, you know, God knows that this is our great temptation, right? Uh, is, is idolatry, uh, worshiping ourselves, right? It's, it's, uh, what's that old joke about, uh, uh, God has made uh us in God's image and we return the favor. We've made God <laughs> in our image and, and it right. is true. Yeah, I mean this is this is why white supremacy is is a lie uh because uh we can't ever it's not only a lie but it's idolatry. We can't uh, put one group of people uh, at the center to the exclusion uh and disparaging others. That's not godly. Yeah, uh this is why all this sort of behavior that we do um, which centers, uh, centers us uh, to the exclusion of others, uh, is is wrong morally and ethically. Uh, and I would say even practically now, education has finally figured out in many quadrants that uh, if we don't have diversity in our classrooms and we don't have it in our workforce, uh, then we don't have all the different kinds of, of um, problem solving that we need in our organizations and in our Uh, academic settings to really push the envelope and solve problems that are problems that are out in front of us. We actually need a diversity of thought. And so here again, a lived life um, uh, venerates the notion that only God is God and God's way is best. And that is when we put God in the center, we find ourselves a sibling. We find ourselves being able to be generative and creative when we put ourselves in In the middle, we find inevitably it's small, it's fragile, it's sad.
1: Hmm. Well, with that, we'll be right back with Four People after a short break.
0: If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright.
1: Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. So Bishop based upon what you said just before our break. And because of what you said in your devotion, you said, you know, when we don't place God at its center, then it's nothing more than us practicing ritualized narcissism. And and I was I was trying to reconcile that with 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 how I read the Bible. And so I'm curious if you could tell us wh- What then is the point of the Bible? Is the point of the Bible to read about God? And how do we then figure out what messages we should or shouldn't take?
0: Yeah, no, I think reading the Bible is a a complex task, and it has to be read slowly and widely and thoroughly, Um, all of that. But I, I think that I would invite people not to read the Bible as just sort of a rule book, Right? I, I think that one of the great gifts that the Bible uh, offers us is, is that it, it offers us a 66-book character sketch of who God has been, uh, uh, is, and therefore will be. It, it makes God's mysterious ways known to us. Uh, it, it displays the best and the worst of human nature. Uh, it, it, it's a book that sort of uh, helps us to, to, to understand the contours of, of what lived life uh, can look like. It, it helps us to understand the the regular pitfalls we fall into. Um, it gives us stories that continue to feed us. I, I like to say that, you know, you read those stories perhaps when you're a young person and those stories are so good, so thick, so rich that it takes decades of living to, to make them yield lessons. And why it's a living book is because, you know, the profundity that it offers me at 18, uh, it offers me new profundity at 56. The, the story, for instance, of the prodigal son, or the story of the the almost stoning of a woman, um, this the the stoning, the stories of a uh, of uh, the the pearl of great price uh, that someone finds, or the story of the the ninety nine sheep huddled together and uh, and the and the good pastor, the good shepherd running off after the one that is lost. That means something to me at thirty. But something altogether different for me when I become a grandparent, and so it's a living book. It's a living document for all of its failures and uh, and biases. It's it's alive. It's it's meant to be read in community. And what I help it uh, what I think it does, is that like a good chiropractor, it keeps us adjusted, <laughs> right? Uh, because I think we have a temptation to get too tight, uh, to be bound up. Uh, to have adhesions, to be restricted just because of the force of life pressing in on us. Or we tend to be too self-important. We tend to put ourselves above uh, and in, and in uh, situations that really are not ours. And we, we don't rely on this great treasure trove of, of 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 years of people groping forward, trying to live with God in the real world. And so, you know, I like the way Dr. King uh, says, says it about Jesus. He says that 10,000 fools proclaim themselves into obscurity while one wise man forgets himself into immortality. This is Dr. King speaking of Jesus of Nazareth. And so e- even in, if you want to sort of drill down on Jesus's ministry, in particular in the Bible, Jesus shows us how to live an abundant life. It's generous. Uh, it has uh, a lot of dinner parties. Uh, it has friend-making. Uh, it has acknowledging and seeing people who otherwise were not acknowledged and seen. It has self-sacrifice. It has a mechanism to deal with pain, suffering, and betrayal. Ultimately, it shows us that the world is bent towards redemption. It tells us that God is for us. And so, so these are the things we need to know. These are the messages that are still alive for all of us today, whether we believe in God or not. Right. God believes in us. And this book tells us so. Right. And this book also gives us, I think, reliable coordinates about the capacity that you and I have. We have capacity. And this book describes that kind of capacity. And so so the, the work, of course, when we engage scripture is to then drill down on what have been the wondrous deeds of God over the over the millennia. And, and, and so what is what is this God's pattern? how does this God do his God thing or do her God thing? How how does this God dance? What's this God's rhythm and cadence? And that's, that's what I want to know. I want to know that, especially if, if I have decided to get to know this God, right? I want to, I want to know, you know, what kind of friend I have. And I think that the Bible describes that for us. And so the point of Psalm 78 is, 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 uh, it's an invitation to recount those things, as I've said in other other conversations to to really begin to develop your spiritual um, photo album and, and and to have that in you know close by uh, and to have great ability and facility in talking about your spiritual uh autobiography and not only that the psalm goes on to say, but be able to tell that to generations yet unborn, your children's children. Right. And so I, I think that this is this is how we you know, nobody is better at sharing good stories and building confidence and self-esteem in somebody other than grandma. Right. And so even the Psalms bow to the power of grandma and they recognize that if we tell our children's children that we have relied on God and that we have found God trustworthy. They are likely, whether they go to church or not, controversial to say, whether they go to church or not, they will have some sense that this God was God enough for grandma and therefore probably God enough for me, especially in my darkest hour. And so, so if we don't talk about God, if we don't talk about God at the center, then we end up as some sort of spiritualized CNN cult on Sunday morning, right? That sort of, you know, is more lament. Uh, And there's a lot to lament, of course, but we end up being more lament than what is the promise of God in the midst of crises? This is the piece that is missing. What is the promise of God in the midst of COVID? What's the promise of God in a racial reckoning situation? What's the promise of God as our political system seems to be fraying and is fraught with division on every quarter? Um, What is the promise of God in the midst of that? So the Bible, if we center on God, we have an anchor in a storm. If we don't, like little children the bible says we're tossed to and fro.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm I'm taking Old Testament at General Theological Seminary, so I'm hoping that Dr. Julia uh, Faith Parker will give me extra credit for this question. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't really understand why the bible was even put together. Why these collection of books were even written and I learned just recently that the reason why these books were written by the Hebrew people was not to tell their own story, but was to tell God's story so that everyone knew that our God was the God. That's right. And so to lead to the last part where you said our job is to recount to generations to come the praiseworthy deeds and yada, 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 yada. What would you you say to parents today who have children who need to know the story? Any wisdom to share on that?
0: I don't know if I have any wisdom. I mean, I'm a parent. I'm a father of five, right? And and so uh, I have young adults, right? And so I even even though my children, like many folks who perhaps are listening, you know, my kids are raised in church. They love church. They were involved in church. Church was a good thing for them. They 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 know the music. They know the hymns. They can pray the prayers. Uh, I mean, we we're not exceptional in that regard. We're like a lot of families. It's just. God has been a part of our family, and these are the words that our family has used in good seasons and down seasons. But I even acknowledge that as I watch my young adults, you know, turn 20 some odd and and go off and embark on life, I doubt that they'll have the relationship in many cases that I have had or their mother have had with church. Right. And so so what I what I feel like is important to do is to make sure that we give them this sense right? Um, th- this sense that, that God is real, able, good, right? And, uh, and loving. Um, and that, uh, you know, I heard one parent say that, you know, what I'm duty bound to give my kids is good teeth, uh, good education, <laughs> right? And good religion. And, uh, and by religion, I mean, I mean the, the, the sort of essence of that word, religios, to, to reconnect, that I give them a good, good connective tissue with the, with the one who is, uh, is the benevolent mind of the universe, right? So I, I don't want my kids to be groping around uh, at some point saying, who was who, that story again? Uh, whether they see it the way I see it or whether they sort of see church membership the way I see church membership, I want them to have an abiding life with the prodigal son story or the one in the 99 story or the, or the um, I mean, any number of stories. I want them to, to be able to sort of have some familiar familiarization with this God conversation so that as they go through the hills and valleys of life and over the contours, um, they won't be totally without coordinates. Right. And so I think that, um, you know, as I was telling my wife, we were joking about doing morning prayer every Sunday with our family, uh, and having the kids do a lot of the preaching and reading, right. And let them facilitate that. And, uh, I was joking with her saying, you know, we're letting them do all of that because I'm, I'm working on my grandkids already. I don't have any grandkids yet, but I'm working on them. <laughs> Because if I, if I can, if we can stimulate this conversation uh, about God with them, uh, then, then I, I hope that they will be thoroughly infected by that uh, and bring their own uh, wanderings and longings and chapter to that, affirmations to that so that they can pass. on. I, I think this is the best thing. I, I don't want us to have God ignorance, right? There's that other part in the Bible that says, in the abundance of water, only the fool is thirsty. Right, So we are utterly surrounded by God, utterly surrounded by God. And so yeah, I, I think that we shouldn't be in the business of averting our eyes, and we shouldn't be in the business of uh, 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 so in love with our own reflection that we can't look up and see the majesty of God. Uh, every time we do that, systemically, individual, individually, organizationally, every time we fall in love with our own reflection uh, and are unable to see... Um, you know, our blemishes, uh, we make tragic mistakes as a society, as an individual, as individuals and as organizations. And so, as I said before, as I said before, it's God who, who, you know, keeping God at the center, which keeps us ironically, right. Keeps us, uh, the most human that we can be. We are designed in such a fashion that only, when we stay uh, close to God and God is at the center, are we the most fully human that we could ever be? Right? So the, the reverse is not true. If I double down on just being human, just that, without any sort of sense of the divine, um, I'm actually leaving, as we would say in Las Vegas, money on the table. I'm actually not collecting all the all of my humanity that I'm entitled to. So this is what we were made for. We were made to talk about a God who loves us, cares for us, and charges us to live in a particular way so that we can begin to proclaim God's goodness authentically.
1: Amen. Well, Bishop Art our, our time is about up. Do you have any last thoughts for our <laughs> listeners?
0: I, I think I think I've had two or three last thoughts, though. But uh but, but I do I, I really I They really were so did, good. They were so I, good. I, I challenge people. I really do challenge people. Stop reading the Bible as a rule book start looking at it as a character sketch of who God is. And and I think you'll be blessed.
1: That's great. Thank you, Bishop. And thank you listeners for listening to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we look forward to being back with you next week.